Would you take your Bible with me and turn to John chapter 17? We're going to continue with our diversion away from 1 Corinthians this morning and go back to John chapter 17. Uh, And we're going to look at a couple of verses here this morning, primarily verses 20 and 21, as we continue to focus on on this merger uh, and what it means to be one church, two churches coming together to become one church. It's much more than a physical location. It's the people of God gathered together for God's purposes. So this morning we are in John chapter 17. I'm going to read just these two verses this morning. A couple weeks ago, we read the entirety of this chapter, the high priestly prayer. I would encourage you this week to spend some time digesting what Jesus prays together, particularly in the areas of oneness and unity. And that's going to be an important part of what we talk about this morning. So this morning, uh, just verses 20 and 21, but, but make some time this week. Carve out some time to spend time in John chapter 17 um, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your, your heart. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21 say this. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. These two verses are incredible truth. It is incredible that Jesus prays this for us. And what a privilege it is to come together regularly and to look together at God's Word and to to marvel over how God laid out this book for us in order that we might know Him, in order that we might believe, in order that our faith might be established, in order that we might be proven mature and grow in maturity in our understanding of who God is and what He calls us to as as His people. So again, if you were here with us a couple of weeks ago, you remember we talked about the identity that we have as a result of of Jesus, of what Jesus prays here throughout this entire text in John chapter 17. Those things again include our identity in Christ, include, not limited to, but include the following things that Jesus prays. He says that we are given to the Son by the Father. We are not of this world. We are recipients of God's word. We are kept or secured in the name of the Father, and we are participants in glory. That is all part of our identity in Christ and what Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17. And I say us very intentionally, so because Jesus is praying for us as the local church, even us in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2019, we are the church, the local church, the expression of God's people set apart for God's purposes. And so Jesus is praying that something would flow through us, something that would be true about who we are and this recognition that we have and find our identity primarily in him. The common identity that we have in Jesus would ever be present, and that would be the first thing that ties us together as the local church. And there would be unity in the body as a result. And I want to emphasize again, the local church, this is Buffalo City Church, we should not attempt to, as a congregation, this happens pretty frequently, we should not attempt to apply these words to anyone but ourselves this morning. Us together, Buffalo City Church, how can we be a faithful church? Ask that that question this week. How can we be a faithful church? So, this morning in these two verses, 
verses 20 and 21 in John chapter 17, we're going to see the effect of our identity in Christ, what the effect is on what we do. So the idea, the simple concept is this, being leads to doing. Identity leads to mission. We move forward as those who understand who we are primarily, and then that compels us to move forward in our life and in our mission. Last week, Rebecca and I watched a film called Free Solo. Has has anyone heard of this? Okay. So it won uh, an Academy Award for Best Documentary this this last year, and we watched it, and when I saw it, I lost my, my brain because because it is such an incredible concept. This is a documentary, true story. It documents uh, a man named Alex Honnold who attempts to climb El Capitan, 3,200 feet of granite in Yosemite National Park without a rope. Yeah. There's like 14 of you say, what? Yes, 3,200 feet of granite without, without a rope. Go watch it. I've never sweat so much and not left the couch. Like, I, I was drenched in sweat, and Rebecca can attest to it. I was sitting there and watching it, and I was screaming out loud. And she was like, please be quiet. You're going to wake up the children. And I was like, and, and I was saying, I, I, I couldn't get over it. And he was doing things that were, like, outside of my, and I am deathly afraid of heights. You get me above 10 feet? At 10 feet, I can't do it. And this guy's climbing 3,200 feet. I'm a total poser because I wear a Patagonia hat. Like, this is, I, I cannot get, this is about as high as I can do without breaking out in cold sweats. The reality of this feat that Alex Honnold done, no one had ever done this before and had known about it in the history of, of the world. So you should go watch it because it's insane and you'll, you, again, you'll lose your brain like I did. But it made me think, it made me process Alex's primary identity and it is so revealing to the human condition it is such a, he says so many profound things as they are documenting the lead up to this climb. So many profound things that make me just go, oh my goodness, so profound. A window into the heart. His primary identity was as a climber. He saw himself as a climber and he acted accordingly. His mission was informed by his identity. I am a climber and therefore I should climb 3,200 feet of granite. Straight up, 3,200 feet of granite, El Capitan. He was going to risk his very life to do the thing that was informed by who he was. He, less than 3% into the climb, if he fell, he was dead. Like he would die. This was his mission. He knew every inch of the wall, where his thumb went here, where his foot went there. A slight miscalculation at any state would wind up killing him. And so we look at this text and we begin to see what our identity is in Jesus. We begin to process through that. We see that we have something in Christ that generates outward movement. We have been given a mission as the local church. And we must ask ourselves, will we sell out to it? Again, Alex Honnold, climber, climbs El Capitan without a rope. We are disciples of Jesus. So we sell out to making disciples. And when we have been made something, again, it generates this outward movement for us. So this morning, the focus of our time, primarily on these two verses in verse 20 and 21 of John chapter 17, we must ask ourselves the question, what is the mission of the local church? 
Now, many of you who have been with us for a while, if you've been part of Buffalo City Church for the three and a half years that we've existed, you've heard us talk about this over and over and over again. Good. We're going to keep talking about it. We're going to continue to go to God's word and see what it tells us about who we are and what we are compelled to do, the outward movement that our identity informs. And so the mission of the local church is to our, the way that we state it, this is the mission of every local church, but the way that we state it is we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. We ask ourselves, what does that mean? The deepest purpose for the Christian is to follow Jesus in every area of life and help others follow him in every area of theirs. The deepest purpose for the Christian is to follow Jesus in every area of life and help others follow him in every area of theirs. Every single area, our marriage or our singleness, our work, our parenting, our sexual sexuality, our social media activity, you name it. If you're a Christian, your deepest purpose is to follow Jesus in every area of life and help others follow him in every area of theirs. The reason we don't stop talking about this is because the depth of understanding that's contained here and what it means to follow Jesus, to help others follow Jesus, is not ending. We don't arrive here at any point. And so we go to God's Word. We're here together in John chapter 17 to unpack this this morning. But next week when we go back to 1 Corinthians, our mission doesn't change. The text might change, but our mission stays the change the same. And we want to know our God through his word. And so we go to God's word and we unpack it, we digest it, we build on it. We seek maturity through it. So if you're a Christian, again, your deepest purpose is to follow Jesus in every area of life and help others follow him in every area of theirs. And so two questions we can answer this morning that flow out of verse 20 and verse 21. Two questions that we're going to ask. The first is, what makes our mission possible? Because we see the answer to that question here. And then the second question is, what will make our disciple making? What will make our, our work towards helping other people follow Jesus in every area of their life? What will make that most effective? And I've even given you the, the answers on the slide. What makes our mission possible? God's work in us to make us a people, a church, a full expression of God's people set apart for God's purposes. God uses his people corporately, us together, all of us together, not us as broken up individuals in different places throughout the city during the week, but, but us together, God uses us corporately together to bring about belief. That's what Jesus says here in this text. And then the second question, what will make our disciple-making most effective? And the answer is faithfulness to pursue unity in the local church. Because unity, what Jesus says right at the end of verse 21, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, unity shows the world who Jesus is. So those two things, those two questions, we're going to unpack those. I've given you the answers, but we're going to unpack them further this morning. So look at the first one. It makes our mission possible. God uses his people to bring about belief. We are the vessels to take the good news of the gospel to the world. Look at verse 20. Jesus opens the scope of his prayer, right? He says, 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's speaking about his disciples, their word, the ones who uh, take the gospel to, to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He's praying for everyone who would trust in Jesus, He'd trust in him. So now it's no longer limited to his disciples, the 12, to those, Jesus, to those who heard Jesus directly in the first century. He's praying for all all who would hear the word that Jesus gave the disciples through the disciples and on and on and on until we sit here this morning in Jamestown, North Dakota in 2019. Our faith comes as a result, our belief comes as a result of the faithful witness of men and women throughout the generations to center themselves on the gospel to proclaim that the only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. So, In a way, this is a restatement of Jesus' final commission in prayer form that we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He says, I don't ask for these, but those who will believe in me through their word. They're going to go out and they're going to proclaim the truth of God's word. They're going to proclaim what Jesus has said to the world around them, and then belief will be a result. Jesus says this. This is a great commission. You know it well. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is praying for those who would come to believe that he is the Christ in John 17. Jesus is the only way to get right with God. Jesus purchased forgiveness of sins with his blood, and he is praying for those that would believe. And that belief wasn't going to come through some supernatural encounter. It wasn't going to come through some telepathic signal. It wasn't going to come through some journey of self-discovery. This belief was going to come through the faithful witness of men and women who acted accordingly to what Jesus said to be true about them and obediently to what he commanded them to do. So plain and simple, not a secret formula. Jesus is praying, not something special or something mystic here. Very simple Very straightforward. God uses his people to bring about belief that Jesus is the Christ and the only way to the Father. On February 6th, just over a month ago, um, Christianity Today ran an article uh, that cited the Barna Group as saying that 47% of millennials, that's my generation, 47% of millennials who claim to be Christians say that it is wrong to share one's faith with the hope that a person would someday share the same faith. 47% of millennials claim to be Christians say it is wrong to share one's faith with the hope that person will one day share the same faith. Now, before you get up and start railing on millennials, because I know we like to do that, before you start doing that, like the, the other generational numbers aren't that much better. There's a leap here, but it's not that much better. 27% of Gen X, 19% of boomers, 20% of the silent generation say that it is immoral or unacceptable to share your faith with someone with the hope that they would become of like faith. So there is a leap here. Uh, another question or statement was posed in the same study and they were asked to agree or disagree. The statement was, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. This is where it gets interesting. 96% of millennials say sharing my faith or, or uh, part of my faith means being a witness about Jesus. 96% of millennials say that that's true. How does that work? 
40% of millennials then, 40% of millennials say that, this is where the disconnect comes, if you, someone disagrees with you, that means they're judging you. That's where the disconnect lies, right? So for my generation, 40% of those surveyed say that, say that it, if someone disagrees with you openly, they are judging you. Therefore, I can say that, yes, it's important for me to bear witness about Jesus, but it is immoral for me to hope they come to similar faith in Jesus. My generation believes that it is important to let others know that you are a Christian, but if disagreement or rejection that comes as a result implies judgment. So, we ask ourselves what's going on. One of the hardest parts about telling others that Jesus is the Christ and the only way to the Father is that means that that message, somewhere in that message, is tied up that they're insufficient in and of themselves. And my generation has been repeatedly told that you are good enough, you are, you are okay just the way that you are, and active contribution to the separation from God is not a reality for your life. And yet we, as people, understand that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice, and that means, therefore, we are insufficient to make our way back to God. We are insufficient. This is the very heart of the, the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ came and bled and died so that we might be forgiven and restored to right relationship with God is completely meaningless if there is no, necessary, no, no reason to get back to him. The message, the word that we as Christians bring to the world is not a message of self-fulfillment. It's not a message of you're enough. It's not a message of pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We bring a message that says that you are under the wrath of God because of your sinful nature and sinful decisions that you are lacking when it comes to the necessary uh, means to get out of that state. What then must happen? Turn from your sin. Trust Jesus as the only one who is not lacking. My generation says that the message is judgmental. If you disagree with that, you're being judged. But friends, Jesus didn't bleed and die. The recognition of the gospel, again, the, Jesus didn't bleed and die that so we could fulfill our dreams. Because that's what it becomes about then. It becomes just about like getting your best life and doing the things that you want to do. Jesus came to, to, to he didn't come to, to, to fulfill your dreams. He didn't go into the ground so that you wouldn't have a tough week at work. His resurrection didn't assure your bank account would be full. Jesus didn't commission us to wash our face or to stop apologizing. Those are not things that Jesus came to do. Jesus bled and died to pay for our sins. He was buried and raised to defeat death. The call is to turn from your sin and to trust him. He was commissioned and he commissioned us to tell the world. Again, 47% of my generation who claim to be Christians that say it is wrong to share faith with the intent of seeing others believe as we do. That's 47% of my generation. It grieves me. 47% of my generation who claim to be Christians who are actively, willingly, and unrepentantly sinning against God. My generation hates conflict. We hate conflict. And yet, the irony of all of this is that in order to avoid conflict with man, we've put ourselves at odds with God. 
Matthew 10, 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. The worst thing that your earthly opposition can do is kill the body. There are worse things. Unless you think those silly millennials, this is a message for all of us. This is the truth of what Jesus sends us out to do. So we as people, friends, do not fear man, rather fear God. Do not fear of being thought of as judgmental for sharing the truth of the gospel. And I am talking about sharing the truth of the gospel. Separation from God because of sin. God sending his son Jesus to pay for that sin on the cross. And if you repent and believe, you can be restored to right relationship with God. An eternity spent in his presence with joy. That's the gospel. Stop thinking that you have to go out into the world and memorize intricate details about a creation-evolution debate. Or know the ins and outs of a political position. You need to boldly take the message to the world. Again, not just how your life is better, not just how social justice compels you, not imposing a big set of rules on people, but proclaiming the truth and responding to it. Repentance and faith. Jesus died so that we can live, so repent and believe. Mark Dever writes this in his book, The Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. He says, evangelism not fundamentally a matter of our methods, but of our faithfulness and proclamation. So, we don't allow fear of conflict, failure, man, judgment, whatever, to keep us from living a life of faithfulness according to what Jesus commanded us. Buffalo City Church. need to wake up. Please do not remain unconvinced that actually sharing the truth of the gospel is important. The Bible isn't full of soft suggestions to pick or choose when, it's, when it fits into our day. And yet 47% of my generation has somehow bought into some Christianity that is sad. Make disciples? Yeah, when I get around to it. Maybe I'll do it when it's comfortable and convenient. But comfort-based, convenience-based Christianity are no kinds of Christianity at all. In fact, they're satanic perversions used to distract you from doing that which God calls you to do as those who have been made something in Christ. So, make no mistake, if you're a Christian, you are called to be a disciple-maker. You may feel incapable. Like, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? How do I do that? I don't have much time in my day or much energy or because I've got mom brain. God isn't interested in what you're capable of. We just sang it. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. This is the hope. God isn't interested in what you're capable of. Alex Honnold thought that he could climb El Capitan without a rope. He was unaware that he was capable of it until he actually did it. God is calling you to a task. Calling over capability. We've seen that in 1 Corinthians several times. It is our calling that is important. Not our capability. We will always make our assessments as a church based on what we are called to and not what we are capable of. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. But what comes after that is vital. Verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it will neither see because it neither sees him or knows him you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you so if we read john 14:15 and we say to ourselves if you love me you will keep my commands and you will say that that's hard that's a hard truth that's a hard thing to do we turn it in on ourselves and begin reflecting in our hearts. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Jesus, I want to love you. I want to demonstrate my love for you. What does that mean? Keep my commands. Those are hard. And then Jesus applies the balm. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You are not left to yourself. The Spirit of truth, whom the world Cannot receive. They can't, outside of here, they cannot receive it. If they're outside of Christ, if they're outside of this unity that Jesus talks about in verses 20 and 21, if they're outside of that, they're not receiving this. But you, as my children, I will ask the Father, as those who are adopted into the family of God, I will ask my Father, and he will give you another, a helper, and he will be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of Christ, if you're in Christ, dwells in you. He's the helper. I get that I'm called. I say, I get that I'm called, but how is it that I can do these things? I don't feel at all capable. First of all, good, any capability that you feel is coming from God anyways. But you're not left alone. The helper has come. Understand your calling, and God will equip you. So we ask ourselves, what does equipping look like? So I understand that I need to be one who is actively sharing the truth of the gospel with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with my friends, with the people, family members who are outside of Christ. What does that look like? How do I become a disciple who makes disciples and take the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that is in utter darkness? How do I do that? What does equipping look like? I don't know how to do it. Equipping is the ministry of the local church. Paul says in Ephesians 4.11, he says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to what? To equip the saints. That's you. You're in Christ. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ. God equips the saints. Those who are in Christ, he equips you to do the work of ministry. And his primary means by which he does that is through the local church. So? As pastor or shepherd teacher here, I'm not the only one who's called to the ministry. It says the saints, those who are in Christ, those are, you are all to do the work of ministry. All the saints, all believers. You're called to recognize your calling as one who is to take the gospel of the world. And part of being part of the local church and our culture here has lost this a little bit. We've lost this understanding of the local church as an equipping entity, as an institution given to us by God to equip you to go to your place, to your sphere in the world and to share the good news of the gospel and to make disciples. That is what Paul says that the, those who are given to us in the local church, the, the leadership of the local church is designed for. The church isn't meant to be this big one catch-all thing, come in together and get everything that you need. It's not like a supermarket for spirituality. It is a place to come and be equipped for the work of the ministry as a believer. 
So we must give ourselves to the shepherding and teaching of the local church so that you can be better equipped to share the gospel in your home, workplace, neighborhood, etc. This is the responsibility of every Christian. And if you feel incapable, good, again, good, you should recognize that you are called and that you must give yourself to the local church to be equipped to fulfill that calling. God uses human means to bring about belief. That's where we're starting. God uses human means to bring about belief. He calls us in his word and he equips us through the church to take the gospel to the world that needs to hear the truth. Okay, so that's our first spot that we want to go this morning. The first question that we want to ask this morning, what makes our mission possible? God's work in us to make us a people, to be equipped together to understand our calling. Secondly, then the question that we ask is, what will make our disciple-making most effective? What will make our disciple-making most effective? This is an okay question to ask, and I think it's an important one because of what Jesus says here. We ask ourselves, how can we be effective as a church? What, what are the things that we can do together practically to be an effective, to bear witness to what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. The answer, faithfulness to pursue unity in the local church because unity shows the world who Jesus is. Look again at verses 20 and 21. Jesus prays again for all of those who would believe and he prays that those who would believe that they would be united. Look at verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, and are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying for all of those who believe, you and me, those who have put our trust in Jesus. He's praying for us, and then he says that we, together here, Jamestown, North Dakota, 2019, as those who have believed, trusted Jesus, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in me. Results so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That is the result. So our oneness being united in the same way that the Father and Son are united, and then those who would believe would be united in the Father and Son also. The result of this unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. When Christians are united, Jesus is exalted and belief is the result. So you want to be effective witness for Jesus. Oftentimes the church comes together and we say, okay, so like we can do this over here, and we can do this over here, we can put this right here, and we can organize ourselves in this way and act and do this way. Jesus says, unity. Christ, when Christians are united, Jesus is exalted and belief is the result. Do you want to be an effective witness for Jesus? Pursue unity here in the local church. Right here, the local church, the people to whom you are most proximate. How? Rightly order your lives. Make the gospel first priority. Unity isn't agreeing on everything. We saw this in the first couple chapters of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Unity isn't agreeing on everything. It's simply agreeing on the most important thing. What is the most important thing? There is nothing more important than the good news that sinners like you and me can be made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. So this morning, question to you. Is that the most important thing in your life? We have 
we as a church, Buffalo City Church, we've been provided an incredible opportunity with this, this facility. Will we steward it for the sake of the gospel? Not to make the name Buffalo City Church great. Who cares about that? They just came up, be like, whatever. It doesn't matter. Will we make Jesus famous, the name of Jesus? Will we steward what we have for the sake of the gospel? Will our decisions be about mission of making disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ? Will we be mostly concerned about how it is organized or how that is painted or who is in charge of what? Or will we be united through the belief that the gospel is the primary thing? Will the world look in and see a bunch of people squabbling over the inconsequential? Or will the world look in and believe that the Father sent the Son? Will they look in and see a people sold out for the gospel? Climbing 3,200-foot walls of granite to see the gospel go out? Will they look in and see people who strive to outdo one another in showing honor? Will they look in and find how strange, how strange it is to see people caring and loving for one another in such a radical way? Be united because it shows the world who Jesus is. Friends, make no mistake, isolation from the local church is sin. If you're a believer, isolation from the local church is blatantly ignoring commands of Scripture. If you're here this morning and you drift in and out, let me, let me encourage you this morning. Through the help that the Spirit provides, be more consistent in this space. Not when it's convenient for you. Be connected. Because our unity displays to the world that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that God the Father sent the Son for a specific purpose to make us right with God. If you desire to be connected in the local church, wonderful. If this is the place for you, great. If it's somewhere else, great. The author of Hebrews is, in, is very clear in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This comes up regularly. Let us consider... Consider everyone this morning. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. How, how, do we con- how do we do that, author of Hebrews? How do we do that? Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some of us have gotten in the habit of neglecting meeting together. Everything is an excuse not to be present and it's disrupting unity in the body. It is impossible to be loosely connected to people and united. Do we know what the most important thing is? Do you know the person on the right and your left enough to know that they're sold out to see the gospel proclaimed in Jamestown? Our conversations can never go beyond the superficial. Our right attitude can be fabricated for an hour or two on Sunday morning. But consider that the church is a grace given to you. This isn't legalism. It's not like saying you got to be in church or you're not a Christian. It's not that. It's saying the church is a grace given to you to be a primary way in which followers of Jesus can bear witness to the truth about who Jesus is. This is how we do it. This is what Jesus says. And so how can we be disciples of Jesus who make disciples when we make little of what Jesus makes much of? We must make much of what Jesus makes much of, and that's unity in the body of Christ. We don't want the world's assessment of Buffalo City Church to be 
full of hypocrites and a bunch of people clamoring about power and irrelevant social organization. If we forsake the meeting together, we will prove them right. Jesus says that the goal of our unity is so that the world would know who he is. And so unity must become our prayer, just as it was Jesus' prayer, so that we can effectively bear witness to the world who Jesus is. And unity is a beautiful picture of the gospel. We, we get to picture the gospel together. We get to do this with regularity. People set against God because of their sin, made right with God because of the shed blood of Jesus. When the gospel is the most important things of our lives, we look for ways to express that, not just verbally, but with the way that we live. When the local church is in a social club, but a loving family, we show the world who Jesus is. He made our adoption as sons and daughters of God a reality. When we bear each other's burdens, when we encourage one another in God's word, when we build each other up in love, when we look not to our own interests but to the interests of others, the world sees clearly who Jesus is. So this morning we come to the end of our time. We must consider again where we started. Who we are leads to action. Our identity leads to mission. Being leads to doing. We are called to work out our salvation. We're called to put our faith or our belief into, into action, into works. And what does that look like? If you ever thought to yourself, what do I do? How do I make this a reality in my daily life? It looks like a group of people who make disciples who make disciples of Jesus who earnestly desire to follow Jesus in all areas of life and help others follow him in all areas of theirs. So we need to be unified in our understanding of who we are, and we need to be unified in our understanding of what we do. So practically then, just three things and we'll be done, very briefly. First thing, be equipped by the local church, by the leaders in the local church. That's why we exist. We exist to equip you for the work of ministry in the community. Again, clear in the Ephesians 4 passage, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. If you say, I don't know how to share my faith, find someone in Buffalo City Church who does. There are lots of people in here who are regularly sharing the truth of the gospel with people in the spheres that they find themselves throughout the week. Saying, I don't know how to do that, that's scary. Find somebody, be equipped. Give yourself to the local church to be equipped. Be humble enough to admit that. If you say, I don't know how to pray, find someone who knows how at the local church level. Find someone at Buffalo City Church who does. If you say, I don't know how to read my Bible, find someone who knows how to at Buffalo City Church. I would love to have a conversation with every single one of you. If, if I had 75 hours in the day, welcome. You're, my office is open. Please come. But there are people in this room who, are, who desire Men pursuing eldership at Buffalo City Church. These guys are called to equip you for the work of ministry. They're saying, we want to teach and shepherd and be on the front end of gospel application and guide people through it. Teach you to love your Bibles and care for your soul when it grows weary. The church is a hub for being equipped for the work of ministry. The ministry that you are accountable to do if you're a Christian. So let us equip you. 
Let us equip you. There is so much incredible truth here. Let me or one of these men, Mark, Blaze, John, let them, let them, let them equip you. Let them lead you to understand how to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly like we saw in Colossians chapter 3 last week. 40 minutes, 45 minutes on a Sunday morning, not enough. This is not enough. Unless you wanted me to keep going. <laughs> Let us share this together. Let's feast on God's word together as a church. Let's be nourished and sustained. Not skeletal figures that ingest empty calories through the pith the world fires our way. May our hearts swell with the love for God because of the incredible truth we find about it in his word. So first of all, be equipped. Leaders of the local church exist to equip you for the work of ministry. Secondly, seek unity in the local church. How? We've talked about this ad nauseum this morning. Not going to keep going, but, the, but keeping the gospel at the center of everything we do. We don't have to agree on everything, but we need to agree on the most important thing. You need to know the gospel. You need to center your life on it, and we need to center the life of this church on it. By seeking unity together as a local church, we put Jesus on display. Final thing then this morning. Be equipped by the leaders of the local church. Secondly, seek unity in the local church. Thirdly, recognize that if you are in Christ and consider Buffalo City Church your home, you are called to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus. So we ask ourselves this question. Does my life reflect that Jesus is better than anything the world has to offer. That's got to be a starting point. If you're unconvinced again this morning that Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer, if you're unconvinced of that mere fact this morning, then you are probably not going to seek to make disciples of Jesus. You're going to seek to make disciples of something else. But if we answer that question affirmatively, does our life reflect that Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer? Then we ask ourselves, does our speech reflect that truth? What prevents us from being present with the body of Christ? Could it be that thing that you love is what you're communicating people should become disciples of? What do we talk about with other people? Could it be that thing is what you love and what you're communicating people should become disciples of? Last week, my, my mentor, Steve, he told me about when he got into falconry. Falconry. Um, he said it was easy for him to talk about it all the time. Because I was reading about it. I, it's falconry. That's cool. But, but I can't imagine telling others about it. But he said to me in our meeting, he said, shouldn't it be that way with Jesus? If we believe that Jesus is the best thing that we have as individuals and as a church, shouldn't we be talking about him endlessly? Shouldn't we always be going to his word? Shouldn't we be telling others who have yet to see who Jesus is? And this is our mission. To accurately display Jesus to a world and demonstrate what knowing him results in. Following him, unashamedly making disciples of him. Not our pet projects, not our music or our preaching. Probably not the preaching, but you know what I'm saying. Not our smiling faces or niceness or welcoming atmosphere on Sunday morning or whatever Church growth says that we need to do. Following him unashamedly, making disciples of him. 
pursuing unity in the body of Christ by making him the focal point of everything that we do for God's glory alone. Let's pray.